I'm Chad Roberts, and you're listening to Awaken to Grace. Today, we are in Revelation chapter 19, and we're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb. Have you ever wondered what exactly the marriage supper of the Lamb is? Have you wondered when it takes place, how long it lasts, and what the real meaning of it is? Well, today, we're going to lay it all out. We're going to study God's Word together. We're going to start in Revelation 19. We're going to move over to John chapter 14. We're going to go back to Matthew 25, and we're going to thread the Scriptures together, and we're going to understand God's Word. Have you been to the Awakened to Grace website in a while? If not, check it out right now, www.awakenedtograce.com. Read my bio, How I Went Blind and Lost My Eyesight, Check out our online store and the hundreds of free resources that are at your fingertips. Well, I hope you enjoy today's teaching on this broadcast of Awakened to Grace. Revelation chapter 19 today. How many of you have often wondered what the marriage supper of the Lamb is really all about? I would ask you to raise your hands, but you know I'm blind, so I'll not do that today. I did that last Sunday, and a brother in our church is a retired Navy SEAL. And uh, when he and I go to lunch, we go to lunch often, I walk a little taller when I walk beside him. I don't, mind who I, I don't mind if I bump into somebody when I'm with him. But that old Navy SEAL pointed his finger in my chest after church last Sunday and said, Preacher, I wish you'd quit tricking me. <laughs> I couldn't tell if it was a suggestion or a threat. So. so I'll not ask you to raise your hand, but how many of you have wondered before, what is the marriage supper of the Lamb? What does it represent? Who will be there? How long is it? Why? What's the purpose of it? We're going to answer that with the Bible today. And what a special thing. I hope this becomes very special to you. What is the midnight cry? We're going to answer that today using the Bible. So Caleb, brother, take us through Revelation 19, beginning with verse 1. Verse 1 says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. All right, let's pause right there. So I'm going to try to give you many things to write down today. How many of you are going to be a scribe today and you're going to take a lot of notes? <laughs> Don't feel like you got to get it all. You can go back on the app and, and, and catch it again. But let me give you several things to note just right off the bat. Now remember, if you really want to understand the book of Revelation, you look for patterns. It is when you gain a great appreciation for the structure of the book. It will all come together and make sense. One of the great patterns that we've studied through walking through the book of Revelation is this important phrase, after this. We were first introduced to it in chapter 4. And what did we say about the phrase after this? In the Greek, it is metatauda. What a great phrase, metatauda. 
And what it means is a transition is happening in the book. It literally means after these events or after these things. What we studied last week in chapter 17 and 18 is such a major ordeal to God. He's going to touch on it in just the next couple of verses. But what happened in the fall of Babylon is such a huge deal to God. And now John transitions again by saying, Metatauta, after this, after the fall of Babylon, now here's the next scene. I just picture the aged John. He's over 90 years old when he writes Revelation. What do we call him? John the, the Revelator. Because God revealed to him. I think that old John just rubbed his eyes. Can you imagine all that he saw? And now, Metatauta, after this, a new transition. And now we're going to go, remember the scenes of Revelation go from earth to heaven, to earth, to heaven, to earth, to heaven. Now we've been on the earth last week at the fall of Babylon. Now it shifts back to heaven. And what do we see? We see the saints of God. And what are we, the church, what are we proclaiming? Hallelujah! Do you remember, some of you we remember, I don't, I don't remember if it was last year or the year before. Remember we did a sermon series called Church Words? Anybody remember that series? We studied the word hallelujah. We studied the word amen. We studied the word glory. If you want to take notes, just note this. The word hallelujah, hallel, this is transliterated out of the Hebrew, out of the Old Testament. The word hallelujah, by the way, it's a universal word. Do you realize that? It's the same word in every language and dialect on the earth. You know why it's a universal word? Because it's an eternal word. And the word hallelujah is only mentioned 28 times in the Bible. 24 times in the book of Psalms. And what's called the Hallel Psalms. And only four times in the New Testament, all four times in chapter 19 of Revelation. What do we say God's favorite number is? Seven. Very good. And how many times is hallelujah in the Bible? 28 times, four sets of seven, the fourth, the last fourth being in chapter 19. Now, here we are around the throne of God. We're shouting hallelujah over the fall of Babylon. Let's watch the scene unfold. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality. And has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Amen. Now, this is fascinating. Say amen if you're with me right now. I don't want you to miss this. Now, the 24 elders. Oh, let me say just real quick. What did it say about God's judgments? They are just. Remember, when you and I are in heaven watching the tribulation unfold, we're not going to be there saying, oh, God, no, please don't do this. Oh, God, please hold back. Right? No, we are going to say just. 
are the judgments of God. Scripture re- reinforces that yet again here in chapter 19. Now, we see the four living creatures who we've seen throughout the entire study. What did we say? Every time events happen on the earth, it's the four living creatures that speak. Every time events happen in heaven, who speaks of them? The 24 elders. Here's what I want you to note in your notes. This is fascinating to me. This is the last time the 24 elders are mentioned in the book of Revelation. Oh, I get so excited when I think about this. Now, remember back in chapter 4 when we began all things, or I'm sorry, things to come, when we began our study, (coughs) who did we say the 24 elders were? Do you remember? The church, exactly. The church is the 24 elders in heaven. Even in today, on the earth, in the church age, who represents leadership in the church? Elders. And in heaven, these 24 elders represents the untold number of born-again, blood-bought New Testament saints from the day of Pentecost to the rapture of the church. Do you remember in chapter 4, John speaks of the 24 elders, but in chapter 6, when John is introduced to tribulation saints, those who are martyred for their faith during the seven-year tribulation period, do you remember John does not know them? The angel, I'm sorry, the, the, the 24 elder asked him, one of the elders says, who are these? And John says, sir, you, you know. In other words, John said, I have no idea. Why did John not recognize the tribulation saints? Because he's not part of them. He's part of the 24 elders. He's part of the church, which the Bible calls the mystery of God. And so here's what I want you to understand about this part of the text. In a moment, we're going to be introduced to the bride of Christ, who is what? The church. But here's what I want you to see in Revelation. Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3 is all about the church and the church age. Then the Laodicean church age comes. And then you get to chapter 4, Metatauta. After this, the trumpet sounds. The harpazo is called up. And now what is the next scene in chapter 4? Chapter 4, in my view, is the greatest transition in the book. And what do we see? We see all the saints of God around the throne of God, friends. That is the rapture of the church taking place. And from chapter 3, if you've paid attention through our study, from chapter 3 at the end of Laodicea to chapter 19 with the bride of Christ, the church is never mentioned again through the entire seven-year tribulation period. You have tribulation saints, people who are saved and martyred during the tribulation, but they're not the church, they're not the elders. From chapter 4, it's the 24 elders... And we see them in nearly every chapter going forward. Every event that takes place in heaven, it is the 24 elders that speaks of it. And now we come to chapter 19 and the 24 elders, who is the church, us, we worship God for his just deeds and his just acts. And this is the last mention 
of the 24 elders in the book of Revelation. Do you know why? Because what is coming next is the bride of Christ, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Is everyone on the same page with me? Let's continue, please. Verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Wow. Can you imagine what those garments are going to look like and feel like? Bright, pure, clean, white linen. And what is the linen made of? This is an idiom that the Holy Spirit uses. What idiom does he say the white linen is made of? The righteous deed of the saints on the earth. Now, that's fascinating. Do you know what I believe Scripture is saying right here? I want you to really think about this. How well you live in this life on the earth is how well-dressed you are in heaven. Think about that. In other words, everything you do right now in the name of the Lord Jesus, everything that you do as righteous acts before God, do you know what you're doing? You're threading your heavenly garments. Right now, you are threading your heavenly garments. I want you to think about that for a moment. How you live down here affects how you'll be dressed up there. That's why, my friend, you should not grow weary in your doing well. This is why you will reap if you faint not. And there's some of you, let me tell you, you used to serve God. You used to love God. You used to do things for God. You used to be engaged in things for God. But somewhere down the road, you've lost your first love. You've left it. Somewhere down the road, the cares of this life have choked out the seed of God's word. Somewhere along the line, you've gotten busy, you've gotten distracted, you've gotten hurt, you've gotten offended. Whatever's happened in the past is the past. And what are you doing for the Lord today? Are you engaged? Are you serving God I don't care how whatever church treated you. I don't care what pastor let you down. I don't care who hurt you or who offended you. What are you doing for the Lord? Jesus Christ, not for man, but for the Lord. And how you live down here is how well-dressed you'll be up there. Don't let anyone steal your thread. Don't let anyone steal your purpose. Don't let anyone steal your joy. You will reap if you don't faint. So don't grow weary in your doing good. Can we say amen to that? Amen. And so John watches this and it was given to the bride. How important is the dress of a bride? That's a pretty big deal, isn't it? And so John watches this unfold. And it was given to her. It was granted to her. Clean and white and pure. Radiant linen. And it was the righteous deeds on the earth. Now, 
Let's go back for a moment. Let's, let's do a detour to John chapter 14. I want you to turn there for it with me. If you and I are going to understand the marriage supper of the Lamb, you and I have to understand ancient Jewish weddings. We won't grasp it if we don't go back and understand this. I love that it's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Because who are we introduced to? Oh, 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 I just, I love God's word, don't you? Who are we introduced to in chapter 5? The Lamb as though he was slain. And do you remember John weeps convulsively because no one was found worthy to open the scroll? And who was worthy? The lamb. Say amen if you're with me right now. The lamb was worthy. Who did we say the lamb linked to? You go back in the Old Testament to the story of Ruth and Boaz. What a remarkable love story that is. What a love story, Ruth and Boaz. Ruth was a Moabite. She was a Gentile. She was not a Jew. But Boaz became her what? Kinsman redeemer. And he took a Gentile bride in Bethlehem. Oh, Christ, the Lamb of God, For those whose names are written where? In the Lamb's book of life has arranged the marriage supper of the Lamb where he is going to take a Gentile bride, the church. Why? Because he's our kinsman redeemer. Amen. Now, let's go back and let's understand for a moment ancient Jewish weddings. Because when you understand ancient Jewish weddings, it opens your eyes to John 14, to Matthew 25, and then ultimately Revelation 19. There were, again, if you're going to take notes, note this. There were three stages to a Jewish wedding. There was first what you and I would call the engagement stage. Now, an engagement in these days was a betrothal, and it wasn't an engagement as we do in our culture today, okay? When I proposed to Sadie, I had a box with a ring in it. I got down on one knee, shaking like a leaf, with my palms sweaty as they could be, and nearly passing out. But what happens? You propose... Hopefully, she says yes, which Sadie did. And then what do you do next? You plan the wedding. You set the date, right? And in our case, 36 hours later, we were married. No, I'm kidding. It was a few months. You propose, you set a date, and then you go, and then you get married. Jewish weddings were a very, very intricate and long process. So let's understand it quickly. Three stages to a Jewish wedding. You first had the engagement stage. Now, the father of the bridegroom would enter into a contract with the father of the bride. And typically they would be very young. 
They would not consummate their marriage for a very long time because it was a process. Two young people would become basically engaged. But see, the engagement wasn't like our engagement. So when we hear that Joseph and Mary, the mother of Jesus, in the Gospels, when we hear that they were betrothed and that when Mary ends up pregnant, supernaturally, what is Joseph's first reaction? Divorce. Well, in our Western ears, we're going, well, how can he divorce her? They're not married. They're just simply engaged. But see, no, an engagement in Jewish culture was a legally binding contract. And if one broke that contract with infidelity, even though you had not consummated the marriage, you had to go through a divorce. And Joseph's first reaction was he was going to divorce her. She broke the contract. And so understand the betrothal period. What would happen is a father and mother of the bridegroom would enter into contract with the father and mother of the bride. Back then, marriages were arranged. As a matter of fact, I have friends in Pakistan who've been here and preached in our pulpit many times. In their Pakistani culture, you know, they arranged their marriages. Their marriage was arranged from young children. Their children now, they are arranging their marriages. Well, to my Western ears, that sounds crazy. But now that I have kids, I go, you know, it's not that bad of an idea. <laughs> they may be onto something. So, so we're talking about legally binding contract. And they would enter into a contract and the father would give a guarantee. He would make a down payment. It would be a promise. Friends, do you know what the book of Ephesians tells us? We are guaranteed. We are sealed. We are promised with the precious Holy Spirit. Friends, right now you and I are engaged to Jesus Christ. And what's the down payment of the Father? What's the promise of the Father? What's the guarantee of the Father? The indwelling Holy Spirit of God. We're sealed with a promise, amen? We are spoken for. We belong to Jesus. See, that's why when you allow sin into your life, oh, what a tragedy. Because you are to be pure. You are to be undefiled. You are to be the bride of Jesus Christ. That's why it's such a big deal. Sin, listen, you're in an affair today. You can't say, well, I'm not hurting nobody. You can't say, well, no one will ever know. Let me tell you, Jesus Christ, who you're betrothed to. Now, the second step. <clears throat> Once a couple is engaged, they're betrothed, then it's going to be a long process because you know what the, husband, what the bridegroom does? He goes and he begins to prepare for his family. And you know how he prepares? If he doesn't have a skill set for life, he learns a skill so that he can support his wife and family. But here's what he does. He builds on 
to his father's house. It was called the bridal chamber. And in those days, in those cultures, families lived together, and he would take his father's house, and he would build and add on to it for he and his bride and his future family. Now let's listen carefully to the words of Jesus. And while the bridegroom is building a place for his bride, while the bridegroom is gaining the skill sets to support his family, while the bridegroom is preparing for his future bride, where's the bride? She's waiting for her groom, okay? What is she doing? She's anticipating. She's preparing herself. There's an imminency to the coming of her bridegroom. But here's the thing. She does not know when he is coming. Now, as we read John 14, now listen to it and read it through the ears and eyes of understanding what Jesus means by a Jewish wedding. The bridegroom goes back to the father to prepare a place for his bride. The bride is waiting in anticipation for the bridegroom to come get her. And now let's read John 14. One through three, Caleb. John 14 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. So let's pause right there. Jesus just told them in the chapter before, he's about to go away and he's going to suffer. So what does he tell them in chapter 14, verse 1? Don't let your hearts be troubled. In other words, what he's saying is I know exactly what I'm doing. <laughs> There's a plan about to unfold. And I love, you know, the, the, the King James, which I grew up on, says, in my father's house are many mansions. Well, always pictured like Allendale mansions, right? Everyone's going to have this big mansion. And who knows? Maybe that is what it's like. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I would think that if the walls are jasper and the streets are gold, I would say the homes are pretty nice, wouldn't you? But I love that the ESV gets, the, gets the, the, the imagery here really right because what Jesus is picturing, what he's saying, is you go to the Father's house and you build a room. You have a bridal chamber. This is where you're going to take your bride to begin a brand new life. And that's why I really like the wording here. In my Father's house are many rooms. Let's watch it unfold. If it were not so... Would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Amen. And will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Praise God. So what happens in the steps of a Jewish wedding? Now follow me. Don't, miss, don't, don't let me lose you here. The betrothal takes place. A guarantee, a promise is made. We've been given the Holy Spirit. Then there is a time of waiting where rooms are being prepared. Friends, let me ask you this question. You look at the earth today, at how beautiful it is, even though it is ruined and corrupted by sin, even though it is tainted in a fallen world. Look at the earthquake a couple of weeks ago in Haiti. Look at the hurricane that's going to slam New Orleans tonight. 16 years to the day of Katrina. 
And you look at the earth today, and even with all the sin, all the rebellion, all of the climate mess, all that we see, all of the disasters and catastrophe, and look how beautiful it is. And God did it literally in seven days. Really six. Imagine what heaven is. Where our bridegroom, Jesus, who what was his skill set? Carpentry. (laughs) Has spent the last 2,000 years preparing it for us. Can you imagine what it will be? Can you imagine? So he says, if I go, I will come again. And I'll receive you. I'll take you. That where I am... There you may be also. What did God put in the heart of every bride beginning in Genesis chapter 3? Her heart will be toward her husband. That's why a couple can get married and he move across the country. And where does his wife go? She goes with him. Why? Where does she want to be? With him. Where do we want to be? With our Lord Jesus Christ. So the betrothal takes place, the guarantee happens, the promise is given, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit, and now we're anticipating, and now we're waiting. And what are we waiting for? That after the carpentry of heaven is done, after all things are made ready, after Jesus Christ has added those rooms onto his Father's house, he is going to come get us. Amen? And what is that called? The harpazo, the catching away, the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. Now, what will it be like? That's phase two. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25, and let's see phase two. Matthew chapter 25. Now, it's interesting, when you and I read Matthew 25, we often think of it in very evangelistic terms, and and, and it is evangelistic. Matter of fact, I preached a message during the pandemic called, When God Shuts the Door. And I preached it out of Matthew 25, and I had many people email me from many places across the states that they received Jesus through that sermon. But... In its truest context, I want you to understand who Jesus is speaking to. It's a parable about ten bridesmaids, ten virgins. Five are foolish, five are wise. And Jesus says the difference that made them foolish or wise, the foolish ran out of oil, the five had oil. And what does oil in the Bible represent? The Holy Spirit. In its truest context, who Jesus is speaking to are Jews who do not have the oil. Their eyes are blinded. Their hearts are hardened, according to Romans 9, 10, and 11. And that's going to change. If you want to know the future of Israel, read Romans chapter 11. And you know when Christ is going to return, you know what's going to trigger his second coming? Is when the Jews, the scales come off, their eyes are open, and they call for their Messiah. And that's when Christ is going to do his second coming. But what is the second coming? The second coming is one event in two phases. The rapture of the church where Christ comes for his Gentile bride. And then the second coming 
where he'll come to the Jews, those who call on him. Of course, there'll be untold numbers who will be like the foolish. They won't have the oil and the door will be closed. Now, let's understand the parable. What are we talking about? We're talking about the marriage supper of the Lamb and how a Jewish marriage happened in three phases. You had the betrothal, you had the midnight cry, which we're going to see in just a second. That is the, the bridegroom preparing the place, John 14, 1, 2, and 3. And now we're going to come to the midnight cry and the marriage supper, the feast, the celebration. And that's going to be the three phases of a Jewish wedding. Caleb, take us through the parable slowly, please. This is Matthew 25, starting at verse 1. <clears throat> Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. Now isn't that an interesting phrase? When the bridegroom was delayed, has Christ, does his coming seem delayed? Only by about 2,000 years, right? (laughs) Does it seem delayed? Yes. You look around at the church today. Is she asleep? Yes. What are these lamps? These lamps would have been like small little circular bowls with a wick in the middle. And the bowl would have been filled with oil. And the oil would feed the wick. Well, that's not going to last very long, right? In our culture today... Think of it as having uh, extra batteries for a flashlight. Or think of it as having, uh, how many of you have a pocket juice for your phone? It'll it'll charge your phone, an extra charging for the phone. They, They weren't prepared. And when the oil ran out, the five wise had extra batteries. They had extra juice. They had extra oil. But the five foolish were out. They had no oil. And now the bridegroom has been delayed. In that culture, it was common for the bridegroom to come at midnight. Thus the phrase, midnight cry. Now, let's watch it unfold. Verse 6, but at midnight there was a cry. Here is the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. So understand. Okay, you heard what it said. The door was shut. What is happening? Five wise, five foolish. Now, let me, I I said it wrong just a few minutes ago. Let me correct this. This is a word to his Jewish audience. This is spoken primarily to the Jews. The church is not part of the bridesmaids. I misspoke a few minutes ago. It's not the bridesmaids. The church is the bride. So who are these bridesmaids? The Jews. Those with no oil, the foolish. Those with oil, the wise. Where is the bride? 
He has come for her in the midnight cry. Who is the door shut on? Those Jews who will not repent at the coming of Christ. Revelation chapter 19. Those who will repent, who will call on the Lord as Messiah. That represents the five wise who will have the Holy Spirit. But where is the bride? With the bridegroom. And where do they go? They go in for the celebration. Friends, that is going to be the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, let, so let's, let me clean this up. Follow me right here. The betrothal takes place. We're given the sealed Holy Spirit as the guarantee, as the promise. Christ goes to prepare a place for us. John 14, 1, 2, and 3. When he completes that preparation, he's going to come for his bride, the midnight cry. But what did we say the tribulation period is for? Throughout the whole study of the book of Revelation, in Revelation 1, 2, and 3, there are, I think, 24 titles for Jesus, and they're all Greek titles. After chapter 3, every title for Jesus then on is a Jewish title. God focuses his attention back on the Jews. Why? To redeem the Jews. Romans chapter 11. And when we come back, the bride of Christ with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Israel, those five wise, are going to be restored to the kingdom of God. But where are we in this picture? Let's go back to Revelation 19. We are... The bride of Christ. Right now, you and I are betrothed to Jesus Christ. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit. Right now, Christ is preparing a place for us in heaven. John 14. And soon, the midnight cry is going to happen. What is the midnight cry? That is the harpazo. What do we say? The second coming, one event, two phases. The harpazo... Christ will come for his bride, and then the second coming, which we'll get into in our next session, the second coming, when Christ comes, the armies of heaven, who is us, arrayed in white, those beautiful, dazzling white garments that the bride was adorned with, and that will begin the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, in Jewish days, wedding feast went on from anywhere from three days to where if a family was very wealthy, it would last for seven days. Seven days in a culture of scarcity, it was seven, three to seven days of lavish drinking and eating in a time of scarcity. Well, However long the marriage supper lasted indicated how wealthy the father or the bridegroom was. Friends, do you know how long the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to last? 1,000 years. The millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Friends, this is what we have to look forward to. Where are we right now? We're betrothed to Christ. What is the next plan on God's agenda? The harpazo, the rapture of Jesus, the midnight cry. And then what will follow the midnight cry? The marriage supper of the Lamb. 
The church is never mentioned on the earth from Revelation, the ending of chapter 3, until we come back with Christ in Revelation 19. Where are we? We'll be in the Father's house in those many rooms. Amen? Caleb, read one more time for me, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Verse 6, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder. And when you hear that, remember, if you're born again, you're there. You're in this scene. You will be part of that great multitude. Continue. And they cried out, hallelujah. Hallelujah. For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And where has she made herself ready? Not up there. She's made herself ready down here. Are you ready today? See, that's what the Bible means when it asks, is your garment stained with sin? Are you without spot today? Are you without wrinkle today? Are you ready for Jesus Christ to return? Make yourself ready today for the coming of Christ. Can we say amen? I want to close today with this beautiful song. Many of you will know it. It's called Midnight Cry. I'm going to try to sing it. I may squawk through some of it, but that's okay. You'll forgive me, won't you? Friends, Christ is soon coming. Are you ready? If you're not ready, you pray during this song and you say, Lord Jesus, make my life without spot or wrinkle. Clean me today. Forgive my sin today. And make me prepared for your soon coming. Amen. Sing this song with me if you know it. Midnight Cry.
Signs of the time. They're appearing. 